The following program is brought to you by Osiris Media. This is your host, Neil the Night Holler. And direct from New Orleans, it's time for Trick Bag, your ultimate destination for the heppest tracks ever waxed. From Blue Monday to Saturday Night Fish Fry, from early in the morning till the midnight hour. For rhythm and blues and rock and roll, this is the place to feed your soul. So let's get ready for some sweet musical treats as we open up the Trick Bag. It's time for part two of the History of the Clovers, featuring an interview I recorded by phone back in August of 2014 with Harold Winley, the bass man and last surviving original member of the group. In part one, we heard Harold reminisce about his upbringing and his first few years with the Clovers. We heard the group's first recordings for Rainbow Records in 1950 and several of their Atlantic recordings that made them one of the most successful and revered R&B vocal groups of the early 50s. That reputation continued throughout the rest of the decade, and that's what we'll cover on this edition of Trick Bag. Right now, let's go to Harold Winley as he sheds some light on one of the Clover's all-time classics. Yeah, the group did a beautiful cover version of Tony Bennett's Blue Velvet, but what are your memories of that recording? Well, uh, uh, Tony, yeah, because Tony did it. It was written in 1950, and we did it in 19—that's uh, after he came home from the army. Blue Velvet. That's 1954. December 1954. We didn't cover that. There's no such thing as covering. We used to pick that song about the street. Yeah, Buddy Bale flicked it, like I say, even though he picked the song and we started singing that, we sing that song in the streets. Uh, we had a time uh, with, uh, with Armit, I mean with Atlantic period, with that song. They really didn't want to do it. And uh, what you got there on that record is half of the song. Well, you know they were doing two 315 never as long as they wanted any record. Now, but now, who's controlling that? You know who was controlling it, right? Who's that? Jukebox operators. Jukebox operators determine the length of a song. So we don't want no song going out there playing like they play a song out here for 10 minutes, you know, for one quarter. No, 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 no. Make it two minutes, 215, that's it. And make them play it again. Jukebox operators determine the length of a song. That's, that's what they did back then, that day. So Blue Velvet was too long. And they, they just started whacking on it and whacking on it, man, because Bill Harrison did a gorgeous job on that song. They chopped off some stuff that we did. Everything's not there that, that we did originally. Did you come to like it more over time? Overall, yes. It grew on to me. You know, it's still one of my favorites, you know, because of the changes and the clarity. was the night Softer than satin was the light from her eyes 
the night dance slowly by Warmer than May, her tender sighs Love was high All the love we held tightly Gone was the glow of blue velvet And in my heart there'll always be Precious and warm a memory Through the years That Sam the Man Taylor playing on Blue Velvet. And guys, I thought that was Stan Getz or somebody. I didn't know that's Sam Taylor. When you performed Blue Velvet live, did you ever do the full arrangement, or was it always done just like the record? Just like the record. No, we just forgot, just forgot the other thing. We didn't do this too often, but sometimes uh, we did other songs that we did among ourselves. We might get together. Bill Harris might to come in. Do you remember this? He started playing a song. Last time we did that was at his house. We'd all gotten together in Washington, and Bill just started playing introductions, and we started singing the songs. Then he said, do the whole thing. So do you remember the, what we did uh, in Blue Velvet? And uh, we would sing what he had given us originally. Yeah. There were a lot of great package shows touring the country back in those days, R&B shows. There's one in particular uh, that included the Clovers, the Charms, Faye Adams, Joe Turner, Lowell Folsom, the Moonglows, Paul Williams, Bill Doggett, and the Spence Twins. And most of those names are probably pretty familiar to R&B fans, except for maybe the Spence Twins. Can you tell us who they were? The Spence Twins, they were dancers. We what they call at that time, called them shake dancers. And these were some statuous sisters, man. Yeah, I've seen pictures. Yeah, they were they were from Cleveland. But they had been on the circuit, man. You know, the theater circuit and the, and the little nightclubs that they had running around at the time, like uh, the, the Lisa in Chicago and uh, some of the other uh, uh, larger clubs. But they, they, they had quite an act. And the admission was two dollars, two fifty, and uh, the day of the show, you didn't get a ticket. It, it, it was three dollars if you was late. <laughs> Let me tell you this, Neil. A lot of times when we, when we started out, and uh, they put us with a put us in out of the dance situation, especially in the north. Man, we had some trouble with bands, man. 
Find someone, man. Well, who, who, who's gonna play for y'all? <laughs> Can't sit up. Y'all gonna play? Said, anybody told me nothing about playing for nobody, you know? And promoters had to go to these guys and explain to them, so I paid you for, I'm paying you for two and a half hours of music and doing that two and a half hours. If I want you to so and so, that's what uh, a Paul, uh, Howard Lewis had to do to a band once. It became a problem uh, uh, to start out. And uh, the guy said, I ain't playing that, what did he say? I ain't playing that boom chang stuff, you know what I mean? Oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah, we hear that all the time, especially uh, so called jazz music. I ain't playing that boom chang stuff. Red Price, like, I never get his quote. He said, Yeah, I boom chang my way right on to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the gig would go off, but uh, now you got bad blood, so you're not getting, uh, you're not getting pulled into you from uh, your sport. Now, when these, uh, the groups like the Clovers and the Five Keys, and uh, the five royals, when we come along, it's, 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 it's a different setting now. It's a way more unbalanced and stuff. Now, they, now the joint is getting down and funky. Now, the groups are working. The same guy that didn't want to play for you, you go down to 50th Street, and say, hey man, when you gonna give me a gig? Or when you gonna give me, a, uh, get me on one of them sessions? That's what you call Jesse Stone. That's the, he's a producer, he picks the musicians. We don't. But he's the same guy that that, uh, that gave you static on a gig, man. He man, no, hey man, when you gonna give me one of them gigs? Take me on one of them tours. I'm, I'm telling you, we'd never say uh, fast domino, uh, low Folsom, uh, Big John Greer. None of those bands, like I told you, that stuff all happened in North. Lord Price's band, man, it gets, it gets me glad. Ray Charles' band, man, said, yeah, let me get in there and play this stuff, you know. It was early one morning, round about four. Baby, start getting set, get ready to go in the morning time. In the morning time, she's been drinking bad whiskey, cheap beer, and a no good wine. She's stumbled down the hall, plumped on the
whiskey at the counter, wine at the bar, get a big guy and wreck my new car in the morning time. In the morning time. She's been drinking better whiskey, cheap beer than no good wine. This is Neil the Night Howler, and I'm having a lot of fun bringing you this special presentation of The Clovers, featuring a 2014 interview with their bass singer, Harold Windley. Hope everybody out there is having as much fun as I am. Let's get back to the music, right here on Trick Bag. Another great tune, one of many that The Clovers recorded, was Devil or Angel. What do you remember about that one? Devil or Angel. Now that was, uh, <laughs> that was something else. That was a needed hit. That was around 55. That's after Buddy came home from the Army. Devil or Angel was written by a young lady out of uh, Augusta, Georgia. I can see that young lady right now bringing that song there. So, oh, wow. Was that Blanche Carter? Yeah, 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 Blanche Carter. She brought it to the company. And we, uh, they gave it to us. And it wasn't hard. It wasn't a hard thing to do. See, uh, with Jesse Stone, our producer, we weren't doing a whole lot of uh, intricate harmonies, if you will. But uh, the basic stuff that you hear, you give an idea, because Ahmed would maybe start off something, like most of the stuff that I'm doing, the bass intros and stuff. It was all Ahmed's ideas, you know. And, uh, Harold Lucas and Matthew McQuaida were, were noted for coming up with figures to sing, you know. And the intro, the obligata intro, that's Jesse Stone. And that part that they would they sing go way up to, I, I love you. You know, I listen to guys out there try to sing that stuff. Now, my group sings it, but I, I've never heard no other group do that. They, they changed because they couldn't do it. But uh, that was a great song, and it was a good session. I need you, I need you, I need you. 
Like an angel, your smile is divine. But you keep me guessing, will you ever be mine? Devil or angel, please say you'll be mine. Love me or leave me, I made up my mind. Devil or angel, there with every you are. I love you, I love you. Do you have anything you can share about some of the popular R&B songwriters like Rosemarie McCoy and Charlie Singleton? Well, I didn't know I didn't know Rosemarie McCoy, uh, Charlie Singleton. I only knew him in passing. I didn't really know him. But Gladys the Jesus, you know, the people that were coming to the studio that I knew. But uh, uh, and then uh, Otis Otis Blackwell. And all those guys were downtown. There was a guy called Danny Runjo Taylor. This guy could write a song, Neil. I mean, a, a viable song, man. He had a heck of a drinking problem. And we always say he gave away $5 million for a half a pint of liquor. Because he actually gave people songs for money to get liquor with. I mean, gave them to him. I mean, I write. Danny Runjo Taylor. But there was a lot of songwriters around there. Um, you had guys out there like Ivory Joe Hunter, Chuck Willis. They was, was writing some bad stuff out there, you know what I mean? And what do you remember about Titus Turner? Oh, Titus? Oh, boy. Well, I don't I remember. <laughs> he was quite a character. Titus was good, man. Uh, he, was a, he was a good guy. He's honest. And he was really... Uh, he was serious about what he was doing. And... Uh, he, he was a hustler, as all them guys had to be back there, you know, especially the songwriters. They had to be hustlers, man. Because, you know, cause, now, say you and I, we both songwriters. So you had to what are you going to do tomorrow? So, well, I guess I go over here and drop this thing at Atlantic. They open up at 9 o'clock, but Titus would be there at 730. But he was a hustler, man. You know, Charlie Singleton. Charlie, you know, he got so big, he got down that street, you know, hustling. That's what you have to do. And they'd call the musicians up, man, and ask them, what's this, man? Who's, who's this? Who's, who needs what? So a lot of the, the New York crowd, although everything was down there in 50th Street, you could find anybody you wanted in one block between 50th and 8, 50th Street and uh, between Broadway and 8th Avenue. Between the, there's two bars in that block, and that's where you find anybody you want. All the rehearsal halls around there, 1650 around there, with all the uh, Charlie uh, Horskall had his office, uh, Lieben Stoller had their office, and Nola uh, Nola rehearsal studio. You go in there, and you know, tell them who you might run into coming in and out of there. 
All this within a, in a five, within a three or four block area. And then the recording companies around there, too. They tore down all the buildings, put up new skyscrapers, and that's where am I? <laughs> Troubles. What you been doing since your man's been a-gone? Tell me how you feel since your man's back home. Hey, doll, baby, listen to me. Hey, doll, baby, who's cold hanging in my closet? I can't remember when I bought it. Tell me that your brother was here today. I don't want to take it no other way. Hey, doll, baby, from New Orleans with your host Neil the Nighthaller. We're hearing a 2014 interview with Harold Winley of the great Clover's vocal group, who enjoyed 21 chart-topping R&B hits between 1951 and 1959. There's lots of great stuff still to come, so stick around. Right now is a rare live recording done for Alan Freed's Rock and Roll Dance Party, sponsored by Camel Cigarettes, on June 23, 1956. The Clovers are backed by Count Basie's band, and Harold gets the chance to sing a duet with a very young Etta James. Hi, everybody. How you all? Get your dancing shoes on, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Dance Party! From New York City, the home of rock and roll, we welcome you to the big beat and popular music in America... Brought to you, transcribed. And here is the king of rock and roll himself, Alan Freed! Thank 
you, Dick Noel, and welcome to our show starring one of the greatest names in music, the swingin'est band in the land, Count Basie and his orchestra with Joe Williams and our special guest stars of the week, the Clovers and Etta James. And we're off and rockin' with Count Basie and his orchestra in the corner pocket. We did uh, Love, Love, Love with the Count Basie band, man. It was a radio show in New York. The Clovers and Etta James and Count Basie. Wow. And now to our special guest stars on this Saturday night's Camel Rock and Roll Dance Party. One of the great veteran rock and roll vocal groups in America. Here are the Clovers with Your Tender Lips. Your tender lips 
The Clovers will be back in our rock and roll dance party after a while. But right now, here's a gal who not many months ago started all of America rock and roll dance conscious. And here she is, the originator of Dance With Me, Henry, Etta James. Count Basie wasn't hip to Etta James, see? <laughs> and uh, when she read back, man, and hit one of the notes that he never heard, and he stopped like he would do, and they had that expression, you know. And I sang, uh, I did the bass part with her on Dance With Me, Henry. Hey, baby, what do I have to do to make you love me too? You got to roll with me, Henry. All right, baby. Roll with me, Henry. Go me, baby. Roll with me, Henry. Any old time. Roll with me, Henry. Don't We were very good friends. We worked a lot together, a whole lot. And now, here come the Clovers back with their current big hit, Love, Love, Love. There ain't nothing in this world for a boy and a girl but love, love, love. I mean, they went off, man, because they had fun with it. Charlie folks with that baritone playing that, you know, and then basically playing that, that uh, what's the name, Jelly Roll uh, type piano. And uh, I mean, they just fell right in it. We ran it down one time and sang it. That was it. When you wear it up, I want it, I need it, fill my cup with Camel, America's most popular cigarette. Only camels taste so rich, yet smoke so mild. We hope you'll plan to be with us every week at this time for a rockin' good time, starring Count Basie and his orchestra, the swingin'est band in the land. And this is yours truly, Alan Freed, saying thanks for listening, and good night, everybody. Alan Freed, the king of rock.
Rock and Roll will present another rock and roll dance party next week, so get around. The Camel Rock and Roll Dance Party transcribed was produced and directed by Lou Melamed. Didn't the group tour Italy for a few months? Yeah, that was, that was a great tour, you know. Just there was no money. The guy had a lot of money problems, and we had to leave it. You know, they, they couldn't understand it, you know. <laughs> and the agent, they were all upset. So we can't stay over here, man. This guy's, you know, opening night. Uh, everybody sitting up in the balcony. The, the, the shoe man, the, the costume man. You know, the set man, everybody been waiting for their money. But uh, it was a good show, and we and we stayed over there from October to November, December. No, they went in rehearsal in, in October. We went over in December. We were there about four months, over four months. Did the group tour overseas very much? No. No, no, that, that wasn't the thing, man. Uh, not in Italy, anyhow. You know, because the Platters had been over there, because they were, they, I mean, they were everywhere. Paul Anker was over there at the time, and Sibylla uh, Holiday and uh, Quincy Jones were in Paris when we went through there. Duke Ellington was there because he was in Milano. But uh, for the music that we were doing, it wasn't a lot of that going on. But the blues artists, the old blues artists, yeah. We had the pleasure of meeting Lenny, uh, what's his name, the uh, director, conductor. Oh, um, uh, Bernstein? Yeah, Billy Mitchell was singing a, a song in this in this club, man. And uh, I mean, I don't remember the song, but he was singing this song, man, a blues. And Lenny Bernstein said there his mouth hanging open. <laughs> he went up to him, said, I ain't never heard nobody sing no blues like this. Yeah, that was something. So after the Italy tour, the group pretty abruptly found themselves with a new record label. How did that happen? After Atlantic, we came and got off the ship. Man, uh, we knew nothing about it. Lou Kravitz announced, you're no longer, so welcome home, guys. You're no longer with Atlantic Records. And that was the end of it. Never know to this day what happened. Ahmed didn't stop speaking to me, so, you know, whatever it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the group recorded a few things for Poplar Records, then ended up with United Artists. Yeah. Who made that decision? Lou Kravitz carried us there. After he left, after, after he left, he had the power of attorney carriers after we left Atlantic. After he left Atlantic, <laughs> we got back, we didn't even know where we were. I took my troubles down to Madame You know that gypsy with the gold kept here. We lost you on Madame Ruth. You got too soft, Bill. Keep singing out. <laughs> and uh, everyone, home. Home. You don't get any softer on any other one of those cuts. This is it. This is the tempo, and that's the groove. Okay? Take 16. I took my troubles down to Madam Ruth. You know that gypsy with the gold cap tooth. She's got a pad on 34th and Vine. Selling little bottles of love potion number nine. I told her that I was a flop with chicks I've been this way since 1956 
She looked at my palm and she made a magic sign. She said, What you need is love potion number nine. She bent down and turned around and gave me a wink. She said, I'm gonna mix it up right here in the sink. It smelled like turpentine and looked like India ink. I held my nose, I closed my eyes. I took a drink. I didn't know it was a day or night I started kissing everything in sight But when I kissed the cop at 34th and Vine He broke my little bottle of love potion number nine Kissing everything in sight I had so much fun That I'm going back again I wonder what happened with Love potion number 10 Love potion number 9 Love potion number 9 Love potion number 9 After we did Love potion number nine, and I'll never forget the first check. The girl told me, said, I said, what is that? And uh, she said, that ain't right. She said, this is way off. Say they give you a check for a count of, say, 10000 She said, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, but what can we do? We can't do nothing. The United Dollars was in turmoil at that time because uh, the, the uh, head A&R man at United Artists died suddenly. After we were given Love Potion number nine, and the next day, our manager had his desk. No Neko Si, No Neko Si, Que Sun Yavol Tuamore, Nel Donatil Mil Quare. Quel giorno lontano Non è così Non è così che sognavo i tuoi baci Negli istanti felici Che abbiamo detto io t'amo
song we sang in the show that we were in on in Italy. No naked sea, love is not like this. It is not like this. No naked sea, no naked sea. Que sognavo tu amore. Jesse changed that round a little bit. That's not the way we did it on the show. It's close to it. And, uh, of course, this was done phonetically anyhow, so you can excuse a lot of that stuff. Did you get a good reception with that tune? Oh, yeah. People, you know, they, they wiped them out, man. You know, if you go in another, go in another area and, and try to sing, uh, speak or the people's language and stuff. Oh, yeah. With the new label, the group recorded a great album of standards. That's the Clovers and Clover. That's the only album we ever cut. We actually did those songs on uh, Poplar. He sold those things to United Artists. Penis uh, from Heaven, My Mother's Eyes, uh, Kentucky Babe. Uh, what else is that? Uh, I think To Each His Own was on it. Yes, right. To Each His Own. That's right. That's right, because that was the last big hit the Ink Spots had. To each his own, I found my own. Do you remember some of the musicians on the session? Connie Kay, uh, Percy Heath was the bassist. I'm not sure about the piano player. I'm thinking, I don't know, it was Kelly Owens and uh, Dave McRae. And his brother on horns, Al Kaola on guitar, Bill Harris on guitar. So even at that point, Bill Harris was still heavily involved with the Clover studio work. Bill Harris played on everything we did. Definitely uh, the Clovers and Clover. Because most of them songs were his arrangements. Except for Old Black Magic, which we, we did basically the same way we used to sing it on the street corners. Round and round I go 
light A leaf that's caught in the tide I should stay away What can I do Loving that spin I'm in under that old black magic color. Under that old black magic color. Under that old black magic tonight's episode of Trick Bag, we're hearing an interview with Harold Winley of the Clovers. Harold was 81 at the time of this interview back in August of 2014, and he's still going strong today at 87. Up now, more of this special spotlight on the Clovers with your host, Neil the Night Howler. When did the group decide to call it quits? When Potion died, the group uh, uh, actually did split up. And, uh, it, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, an announced thing. Guys just started dripping because you had other things to do. Uh, survival, you'd fall into a survival mode. But I had a mortgage. <laughs> Daily had a mortgage, you know. And uh, things happened, man. You had to do what you had to do. At the time, there's only three of us singing, Lucas and uh, Lucas, Buddy, and myself. Uh, uh, my brother had a show at the Apollo Christmas show, Sunny Till, the Orioles, the Five Keys, Screaming Jay Hawkins, the uh, Miller Sisters. I think that might have been it. Maybe I missed someone. I, I don't think so. But that show, that we got together for that, and uh, Lucas, Buddy, and myself. And, of course, this is, this is 1963 now. So the part was basically over. And, uh, uh, in fact, I was in school. I had gone back to school, man. And uh, Now, what we did, actually, is we worked all the joints that maybe we should have worked on the way up. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? All them little joints around Washington, D.C. that we didn't work because we went bam and was gone. But they were still there when we came back. And now we work them under different circumstances. All the places that we had played before as headliners, we were now openers. The circle is <laughs> going around, you know? We were openers for the, uh, uh, for Jerry Butler's group. Because he wasn't with them anymore, Billy. I mean, uh, Curtis, you know? And it didn't bother me at all, man. I was working. See, some people, that bothers. I work with a guy and, uh, his father had been at it for years. 
And uh, he said, my father never opened up for nobody. They always closed the show. He another act almost got in a fight about this. Over, over two dead men. <laughs> you know? Man, go on out there, do the show, and let's get out of here. Come on. Oh, yeah. You know, you're supposed to take care of your spot. Well, I don't care if you open or what. That's what show business is about. You make this spot so hot because we had a thing say, well, we're going to go look for Mickey Mouse tonight. The only person can follow this is Mickey Mouse, you know. But uh, uh, not not out of arrogance. It means that we're going to go out and do the best that we can. Well, didn't you put together another group of Clovers a few years later? Yeah, I had a group. But that, uh, yeah, me, Bobby Adams, Ray Loper from Five Keys. I didn't do anything with that group. Carried it in the Apollo. Little Anthony requested the group by name, but uh, and I was available. I was there, so uh, I never really went anywhere with that group. Not really. But you recorded a few things, right? Yeah, we recorded, and uh, yeah, Bobby Adams, he was a good singer, and uh, you know, we had another boy, Johnny Taylor, that was also with uh, Jim Navi's group, and they weren't working, so he came in on me to do that. Came in with us to do that.
But that was the difference in the uh, artists today and the artists in our era. The guys back in our time, we didn't take care of business. We didn't look out. The only person out there was screaming about wanting their music before before Ray Charles was Sam Cooke. I want control of my music. I want my, uh, uh, you know, I want my disc. And then, uh, then Ray, Ray really went to it. You know, he was serious about it. And, uh, I know guys right now, even Raymond Loper with the five keys, his mother wouldn't let him leave on with that group until he went to school. He got, you know, he got, at least got two years college on his belt because uh, nowadays these guys, they, you know, it's about business. If you don't know how to take care of no business, you, you may find yourself down by the old mill stream. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a new day, and it's been a new day, and you just have to uh, prepare yourself to uh, uh, do this stuff. If you want to go on this music, I say, you know, I have a young man in church. His father brought him to me and said, Mr. Wendell said, so-and-so, so-and-so. I said, no. I said, get something behind your name. He didn't know what I was mean. I said, get a degree behind your name, then you can get you. And take the music as a minor. Keep your hand in it. Get your, uh, get your business acumen, you know. Take a business course or get something else behind your name. Then go into music if you want to. Then you can do it at a, at a better pace. But if you got mortgages and children and wives and uh, other obligations, and you're trying to go out here in something that's unsure, and it's even worse now than it was before, because then, before when I was coming along, there wasn't a whole lot of cats out there. Now there's, there's 5,000 of them per block. <laughs> you know, the whole thing about it, man, Neil, it's just like, just like uh, uh, in your industry. Guys used to get a name, get on the radio, get on there and yell and stuff, and knew nothing about the industry. You know, and they became very big, you know, and uh, but they did not know the industry. They knew where they were. Uh, you know where you are in New Orleans. But suppose you were suppose a guy out there in Little Rock wants you. And he's got a, you got 10,000 there, and this guy's got 250,000 watt station. What you gonna do then? You know, because it's gotta be prepared. So uh, that's what I tell people about luck. Luck is being prepared. <laughs> That's what luck is always about, being prepared. When it comes to then you can't handle it, buddy. You're not prepared. You're not unlucky. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That's the truth. Well, I guess we should. Uh, I guess we should bring it to a close. I know we've covered a lot, and uh, I really appreciate hearing all these great stories and the history. Hey, man, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, you got something you can work with. I hope. Yeah, I've definitely uh, got a lot to work with. And I hope to see you in New Orleans sometime soon. So do I, man. Please. Looking forward to it, in fact. All right, Harold. Thanks again. All right, now. Take care. All right, bye-bye. There you have it, the history of the Clovers, as told by their last surviving original member, bass singer Harold Winley. I want to thank Harold again very much for taking so much time to share his memories with me. He's a great storyteller, 
and his words paint a beautiful and vivid picture of life with one of the most exciting, talented, and respected vocal groups in history, The Clovers. And that's going to wrap things up for tonight's show. I'm your host, Neil the Night Howler, direct from New Orleans, and I hope you'll join me next time for another edition of Trick Bag. Trick Bag is hosted and produced by yours truly, Neil Pellegrin. Executive produced by Kirsten Cluthy and Adam Kaplan in partnership with EAC Productions with audio production by Matt Dwyer. If you like what you just heard, please rate and review us and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or any of your other favorite podcast platforms. (laughs) 